Hey everyone, welcome to this week's release of the Hashrate Happy Hour podcast. On today's show, my guest is Nick Phillips. Nick is the EVP of Hosting Operations and Public Affairs at Applied Digital. They are one of the largest publicly traded next-generation digital infrastructure companies in North America. Applied Digital is most known for their professional Bitcoin mining hosting services, and what makes Applied Digital so unique is that they seek to develop and operate ultra-low-cost digital infrastructure purpose-built for high-performance computing applications by bringing data centers directly to the point of power. On today's show, Nick and I will talk through what it takes to build data centers and Bitcoin mining infrastructure at scale, the benefits of load shedding for a utility company, and the positive impact that Bitcoin mining and large-scale data centers have on the local economies. This is an absolutely must-listen-to conversation if you are considering scaling up your operation. Nick has a masterful understanding of digital infrastructure and traditional data center industries and how all of this ties into the benefits for a utility company. So with that, I hope that you enjoy today's show with Nick Phillips. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm here with Nick Phillips at Applied Digital. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, really looking forward to our conversation today. Um, very excited. We, you know, just in the, the recent couple of weeks here, we, we've had a nice little rally in the Bitcoin price, which is always fun to see, which Bitcoin miners always appreciate. Do you have any speculation on on what's driving that that hash rate to to just go on a tear like it's been going well so not not exactly but what i what i would say and having you know looked at at mining and bitcoin and, and things for for years now i've been in this space since uh mid 2017 um so in terms of you know early to the, the large uh side of of the industry very early there um but there's there's a lot of ups and downs. It's, it's it's very like cyclical, right? And I feel like the the mainstream media or the mainstream like the, the folks out there kind of look at this cyclical nature of of Bitcoin or any any crypto generally and go, wow, it's really really up and down. It's wild. Like it's very um, all over the place. And if you just look at it, it it's got like these inter year ups and downs. Um, and it's not always like this. It's not exactly like this, but it feels like, you know, at the beginning of a year, it kind of crashes or like, right, maybe at the end of the year, it kind of crashes and maybe there's something to do with tax season or, or like, who knows what's going on there. Um, yeah. And then throughout the course of the year, it kind of rallies. And then you see like these, these spikes somewhere mid to late in the year, and then it crashes again. But the crash price point is still higher than it was at the beginning of the prior rally. And it's just like been this the same kind of thing so i remember back in uh 2017 in jan i think january it was about a thousand dollars bitcoin was at about a thousand dollars and of course uh everybody i think everybody all of a sudden knew what bitcoin was by december of 2020 when it was twenty thousand dollars and then it crashed by march i think march of 2018 it got to like three thousand Right. And everybody's like, oh, it's the end of Bitcoin. It's dead. It's over. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's gone. But like, what did any of those people buy in January? Stocks or anything else? Real estate, stocks, commodities, gold, anything. What did they buy in January of 20, uh, 2017 that they had a 3x return by March of 2018? Like, you can't time the market perfectly and always sell exactly at the peak. Right. So had had you bought in January and held for, you know, 14 months, you had a 3x return. Yeah, you didn't have a 20x return. That sucks. But but you had a 3x return, you know. <laughs> right. And and here we are uh, again in in 2022. It went to, uh, you know, almost 70,000 and then it crashed and it's the end of Bitcoin. Twenty Like $17,000. Bitcoin is dead. It's over. Well, like. That's 17x from five years ago. Um, what did you buy, you know, five years ago that you got a 17 times return on? It's it's crazy to me, you know, and, and maybe I'm a 
maybe I'm very bullish on Bitcoin um, in in that regard. But like, what did other people buy that got those types of returns? Like, like nothing. Yeah. Some people lost money, and you know, shit coins. I'll just call them shit coins, right? And people who are who are running around trying to skirt SEC rules and raise money, and they have pump and dump schemes. Like they should just go to jail. Like they're they are ripping people off. Not all of them. Like there are some coins that you might call shit coins because there's there's not like a big infrastructure or whatever behind them. But but like some of some bad actors out there are doing bad things and are ripping people off and should be in jail. Right. Yeah. There's other folks who are building really interesting technology and are building, you know, what what should be the future of all sorts of titling of of assets, whether that's houses or cars or technology or commodities or, or whatever um, that are very, very interesting. And some of that is unfortunately takes big swings up and down, uh, you know, along along the lines of of some of the bad actors and what they're doing. Look at, you know, FTX. And I won't say that that he should be in jail, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, but there was a lot of crazy stuff going on in there that doesn't make any sense yet negatively impacted all of the publicly traded miners and a lot of the coins and, and everything else out there that is really unfortunate. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just a general consumer, how can you possibly separate like what's the difference between FTX and Bitcoin or Coinboys and Bitcoin or a mining company or a hosting company like Applied Digital or like how do you separate all these things just as a general consumer? It's it's very, very difficult. Um, yeah. yeah. There, there's there's a lot to unpack in there for sure. You know, the the return profile of Bitcoin is absolutely what has me so bullish about it and interested in it. Um, maybe just to, to back up, actually, Nick, you had mentioned 2017 was right around when um, you started to kind of get into the Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining scene. I'd, I'd love to actually back up and maybe have you share your background and how that led you to Bitcoin mining, Applied Digital, and then maybe to, to round that out, give us a, a quick, who is Applied Digital? Yeah, sure. So so I got involved. I was working with some folks in um, starting in, in 2015, had a bunch of different companies. One of the guys over there had been mining since I think about 2013. And he he wanted to build a big you know mining company. Um, I previously owned a data center, um, small data center, traditional you know kind of data center. Um, we did co-location, uh, virtual hosting, stuff like that. And so I had you know some background in um, in in building uh, computer facilities that run a lot relatively large amounts of power. Uh, didn't really, I suppose, at the time realize what that all meant um, in in terms of where we were going, um, but. They had some some real estate folks that were looking for space and hey we're gonna just get thousands of miners and we're just gonna plug them in right like some mining companies out there like that's or some folks who are bullish on bitcoin they they go from hey uh like bitcoin's really cool i want to do bitcoin but why should i buy it on exchange let me i'll just go mine it so then they go to bitmain or wherever and they just buy a whole bunch of <laughs> they buy a whole bunch of miners and they're like i'll just plug them in like that's <laughs> That's really hard. Like you can plug in a hundred miners, maybe even a thousand miners, just plug them in. A thousand is very hard, but like a hundred, you can just plug them in, relatively speaking, just plug them in um, and figure it out and be fine. So I, I set off on this path of cold calling around the country and trying to find a place to just plug in thousands of miners um, and, and talking to power companies. And and that, that company uh, became the, the largest uh, mining company in in North America um, and publicly traded and unfortunately they're they're in a, in a bad spot right now like like many uh, large miners are in, in terms of bankruptcy proceedings and whatnot but but that was my my first dive into into mining in, in 2017 um, took some time off did some other stuff learned how to fly airplanes and, and stuff so I've got a pilot's license now and, and in the meantime and, and built some other businesses I've got some art things going on with the wife um, that you see back there and and then applied uh, applied digital which was at the time applied blockchain um, they they had raised some money to go out and, and do mining so they bought some GPUs and they were going to be a mining company and 
those those mining uh, miners were going to be hosted in China. Uh, this is back in uh, 2021 now, and all of a sudden China at the time, right around like March, I guess probably March of 2021, China set puts a moratorium on mining. No more miners in China. Um, China doesn't like uh, mining for a couple of reasons. One, obviously the lack of control over the currency. They don't get to manipulate Bitcoin, which, you know, that says a lot. Um, and yep. then two, they've got all sorts of power infrastructure problems um, that really materialized as coal prices and LNG and, and gas prices and things have just skyrocketed over the last 18 months or so. Um, but so all of a sudden the the Chinese folks uh, or other, you know, Asian country folks that these guys were talking to um, were like, hey, can we host in North America? And what I think was was interesting in 2017, there was larger hosting environments in, in China, especially, um, and maybe a little bit of Eastern Europe uh, going on. But North America, there hadn't really been picked as a, as a good location, but it's just such a great regulatory environment. It's a safe location uh, to, to do mining. And so all of a sudden, th these guys, um, Wes and Jason, uh, who are the, the founders of, of Applied Digital, thought, wait a second, there's actually an opportunity here. Maybe we should go out and figure out how to, to build, um, build a hosting environment. And we can host all these people who we were going to host with instead and, and do something. So they, they found uh, two of us, uh, who had built some facilities uh, in, in North America, very small bench of people who had built anything more than, you know, a half megawatt, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had put together a facility that, that was 35 megawatts and grew up to 85 megawatts. So we went from zero, um, which is huge for North America. And, and another guy uh, on the team who built one in Canada, um, I think it was around 80 megawatts as well. So, so like very, very little experienced folks um, found us. And then all of a sudden it was, well, we're going to build a facility and we hit the ground running and got a hundred megawatt facility up and running. Um, basically within a year uh, of that, we, we visited a site in North Dakota in July, uh, worked our butts off to close on the land by September, broke ground the day we closed, like literally we had construction oh, wow. trucks, like waiting on the side of the road for the stuff to get signed broke ground on uh, september 14th of 2021 started turning miners on in in Jan uh, january 30th of 2022 um we worked through one of the worst winters in uh north dakota since the mid 90s you had the same thing where you're at yeah uh, well, we started getting miners turned on and our, our contractors we had up there just were like crushing it like i had a really rough um introduction to North Dakota winters uh, that year where I, I went up there at some point in February and it's like negative 30, 30 degree wind chill, 60 mile an hour winds. And I'm sliding backwards, walking on, I'm walking between buildings, like slide, like ice skating on my tennis shoes, or not tennis shoes, but like boots, you know, like sliding backwards thinking, how are these people working, you know, 10 hours <laughs> a day, you know, six, maybe seven days a week. Uh, and doing this, but they did it like they were doing it. So, um, so that's, that's kind of the, the, the lead into applied digital. And, and now we've got, uh, that site up and running. Um, that's J our Jamestown site. And we have two other sites under construction. They'll be online here in the near future. We're racking miners, uh, in one of them now, um, we're about to start racking miners in, in the other one, um, possibly this week. Um, and it's, and once that's all online, we'll be near 500 megawatts of, of hosting online, which may make us the largest hosting company in North America. Um, we're strictly hosting. We don't do anything, any, we don't do any mining. Um, and I say may because there's a miner that has hundreds of megawatts online, but they're all, they're mining. And I don't know what their status is given bankruptcy and other stuff that's yeah. going on with them and, and all the other, the other folks out there mostly yep. um and yeah so it's it's hard enough to do hosting like the infrastructure the buildings the regulatory the utilities the community relations the legal like the list just goes on and on and on on the hosting side and to do that and mining to me is nuts 
Like it's to do both is crazy. There's a lot, lot to juggle when you're doing both sides of the business like that. It it's, it's pretty incredible. And yeah, very familiar with the North Dakota site being yeah. here in, in Minnesota. You guys actually did make news. Um, I think more than once just of, celebrating, yeah. celebrating, you know, that size and scale of a facility dedicated to Bitcoin mining. So it was really cool to see that and watch that. Um, speaking of the hosting, that being hard enough as it is for a company to do, can you maybe touch on and talk through what the hosting environment looks like? And like you said, it's been kind of a, a rough year here for miners in general. Can you maybe touch on what does that hosting environment look like from your customer's perspective? So, you know, customers customers are very sensitive uh, to the, the price of Bitcoin and energy and, and everything else going on. And we've kind of, we're in a position where for the last many months, fuel prices have just skyrocketed, right? There's, it's, it's kind of funny to feel, you know, to, or to think about like the macroeconomics of what's going on globally really drastically impacts mining and, and associated costs, right? So we've got, um, you know, the stuff going on with Russia and Ukraine, um, which of course is now, it has impacted gas prices, natural gas prices across Europe. Um, there's some weird things that have been going on in, in Japan um, with liquid uh, LNG, liquid natural gas, and they're willing to pay a lot more than folks had previously been willing to pay in North America. So like a lot of the fuel supplies have have left uh, North America, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then there's fracking and problems with fracking and crackdowns from you know the administration, the White House, and and whatnot, and, and all that. So, so all this has led to like this surge in in energy prices uh, in in North America, and then at the same time, obviously the the price of Bitcoin got crushed um, over the last you know several months. So you've got customers who want the, the, the price of Bitcoin to, to continue to be as far away from the price of power it, you know, it costs. So, so that's, that's been uh, very interesting. Um, and utilities are getting squeezed everywhere. Some utilities historically, um, if you look at the, the Northwest, like Oregon, Washington, I think more Washington than Oregon, um, some utilities made some deals there um, going back to like 20, 15, 16, 17 kind of time frame where they made deals with mining companies who would come buy a ton of power, but then they passed those those prices uh, that the increase. Sorry, let me say this again. They then increased the prices of all the communities in, in the area, um, which made for a very bad political situation for the, the few miners that were up there and not even that big. I mean, maybe 10, 20 yeah. megawatts big, um, which you know, going and talking to utilities, like that's what they know about mining. Like they know there were problems and consumers know, oh, well, my power is going to go out because you're a big customer and the utility is going to give you power and not me in the middle of the winter. Well, guess what? We're the first ones to shut off, right? The regulators figured that out. Um, So we turn off before anybody else. Um, And we actually help the utilities to fix some imbalances being a very large power, power user. And yeah. so it's good for the communities for us to be there because when there's too much power, we take it. And when there's not enough power, we have to give it up from a legal standpoint. We're required to, or they just open our breakers on us. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, our customers have at this point more demand um, than we can fill. Like we can, we can't build facilities uh, fast enough, but you know, I think our smallest customer is, I don't know exactly where they're, but they're tens of megawatts. They're very large in the mining space. Um, oh, for okay. Yeah, we don't we don't take single customers. There's other folks out there. I think uh, Compass maybe is one of them, and some others that they they go get space and facilities. They're not in ours, um, but they go get space and facilities, and they'll sell space to somebody who wants to get you know one or ten or twenty or fifty miners, or maybe even low thousands of miners. Um, to me, if I were going to go mine, I would I would find something like that, like don't go do the hosting. Like don't go build the facilities. It's tough. It's, I like it personally. I like this side of the business, the infrastructure, Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's not mining. Like it's all about the infrastructure and keeping things operating. And, and that, that's such a crucial point that, that I, you know, would, would maybe like to double click on and, 
before we hit record, we we started to kind of dive into it. It's just some of the challenges around that because I think, like myself, you know, I, I've only got a handful of machines. Some, you know, I run myself. Some I run through a, a small hosting provider. It's a headache to get just infrastructure in place. So I- no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like if you're going to do mining, focus on the mining. Like look at what's your uptimes and what pools are you you know, pointing at or what coins are you mining and are you holding it or are you selling it or are you doing an arbitrage game? Like, like that's plenty complex too, you know? Right. And that's, that's enough to keep somebody occupied or a team of somebody's occupied to make sure that that's going well, right? Yeah. On, on, on the hosting side, you know, we talked a little bit about power prices and fuel prices and whatnot. So the utilities are all squeezed. And they're trying to make sure they don't get themselves in a, in a jam, right? So you have to come up with really complex ways of dealing with them on the hosting side to make them comfortable with who you are and what you're doing. And you can be responsive to the grid needs that they're, you know, required to maintain based on regulators and, and whatever, you know, bad actors have done to that particular jurisdiction in the past that has caused them to make rules, regulations and laws and, and everything else. And then you also have supply chain issues, covid did a number on every single, you know, manufacturing process in the world, right? So like, when do breakers show up? And what about this switch gear? And what about that wire? And wait, the price of copper, you know, triples over some period of time because there's a hurricane. And I remember back in in like 2018, Puerto Rico got wiped out. And I think it got wiped out again just the other day. And it's like, all of a sudden, every single electrical contractor that does high voltage could go work in Puerto Rico for 300,000 a year instead of where they were working for 80,000 a year. So they all left and copper prices went up. And and so like, there's just so many commodity issues and, and things that get very, very complex. We have a huge team that deals with all the project management and procurement and tracking of things and where is it and when is it going to get there? And it's it's like a lot of work. Are you guys, are you guys still seeing my, my first episode was with a municipal power company here in Minnesota. And he was telling me a year and a half is a reasonable lead time right now on a transformer that would service, you know, like a thousand plus KVA transformer, you know, you're at a year and a half. Are you guys still seeing stuff like that? We buy so many transformers that it's not (laughs) that for us. Um, it's it is that every I talked to dozens of I I don't know how many utilities I've talked to in the last twelve months probably two hundred all of them say that there are eighteen to thirty six months for transformers that's what everybody tells me um, we don't I don't I don't see that uh, on our side we get transformers faster but you know if you show up and say I'm going to order five hundred transformers uh, that's a different conversation than hey I'm going to open um, you know I want to order one transformer. That's not off the shelf because when we buy 500, you know, they can make a a production line of that Um, or they can open new shifts for us. So our steel buildings, we try really hard to to near source everything that we can. So our steel buildings for Jamestown, we we had manufactured about eight miles away from our facility. And it was really tough to get that done. But ultimately, we found a company that uh, was willing to open a second shift and run the buildings um, during a new shift that didn't exist. But we were buying so much of it that they could go out and hire people to go do that. And then they liked having the extra shift, so they kept the extra shift because there is a ton of demand. But but you can't just go, hey, I'm buying you know, a 10,000 square foot building. Please open, me, open a second shift for me um, because they can't hire people and give them enough work to, to do that for a period of time. So it yeah, you get to do some extra cool stuff when you when you buy a lot of things. Yeah, especially when you're buying at that scale. Um, that that's pretty cool to hear because another thing that I I have heard is, well, you know, Bitcoin mining is going to come into town and they're only going to provide one job for a big site. You know, so it's it it the rhetoric is it doesn't really produce a big economic impact to the local economy when in reality it. It is. It just looks a little bit different than an immediate job at the the facility. Um, yeah, so, so that's cool so to hear that. A lot of utilities and economic development folks in various states, and you know, you'll talk to some states. Uh, I live in Tennessee, right? So Tennessee, for example, 
the utility around here, TVA and all the various co-ops that they work with that, you know, they, they like to think about, well, we want to attract people who are going to hire 200, 300, 2000, 5,000 people. And that's what they care about, right? Like that's, that's their numbers. And so for us coming in and saying, well, you know, we're going to build a hundred megawatt facility and it's going to have 30 jobs. Like they just don't care. Like th there's no care in the world, but what I can tell you is, um, as a very specific example, our uh, site manager at one of our new facilities before working for us was a night shift manager at Walmart. He came in as an entry level position as an operator, entry level, like the, the very you know bottom of, of the food chain. Uh, he started there. He became eventually a shift supervisor, went from shift supervisor to assistant site manager to site manager inside of a year. Wow. And so... For that guy who's from that community who lives there, right? This is life changing. Like going from a night shift manager at Walmart, which is a pretty decent job in a rural, you know, rural part of the country, to to running a you know a tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of equipment for including our customers' equipment facility um, is life changing to that guy. And it's not just that guy; it's you know the operators that are you know, working electrical jobs or facilities or maintenance or their farmers or their whatever. And they get to learn about this technology and they become part of, you know, this next generation data center uh, in and get to stay in their rural communities, which has benefit to them, right? Like if I'm a rural guy growing up in a town of 500, right? One of our communities is 527 people. Yeah. And I'm going to find a job. I don't want to be a farmer, right? Now I'm going to find a job in a big city, different quality of life, different way of living, lots, lots of neighbors right on top of me. And all of a sudden I'm living there and mom and dad aren't there. I don't have the cousins for the kids. I don't have the grandparents to help babysit. I don't have that support system. It's, it's very disruptive and, and in my opinion, negative. Like I grew up in a large city, but like I live in a relatively small city now and, and I, I see this and and being able to have an opportunity to be in this high tech environment, even if what I'm doing isn't necessarily high tech, like I get exposure to these really cool things. That's that's a huge value. And those 20, 30 people, it's huge value, life changing value for those folks and their families and, you know, their kids and, and like what experiences they get to have is gigantic. In some of these communities, like the 500 person community that I mentioned or the thousand person community, 30 jobs is absolutely massive. That is huge. I, yeah, I was going to say as a percentage of that town, that that is impactful just on its own, even though it's only 30 people. Yeah. Not to forget about the, the second hand things that are going on like that. Those are our direct hires. Now, look at the second second hand. You know what's going on. We hire security. Right. They don't work for us. They're not our employees. But those, that's three, four, five, ten employees, you know, in some of the in some of these locations. Look at the restaurants, you know, during construction, we might have 50 to 150 construction workers for six to 12 months, you know, that are taking hotels and restaurants and grocery stores and, and everything else. I can tell you, I, I can't stay at a hotel right next to our facilities because they're full. I end up driving 30 minutes because I, I don't go to our facilities every day. And, and these construction workers, they rent the rooms for, you know, six months. And so I end up driving 40 minutes. So like all of the hotels inside of 20 and 30 minutes are taken yeah. um, for months, right? So what's the impact on, on those folks and what improvements can they do? And like, there's all sorts of things going on um, that our, our utility partners, when we find them and they get it, they, they see it and they go, this is great, right? Or the towns, they say, this is great. But some utilities, you know, some states look at it and go, eh, it's 30 jobs in a state, you know, of 6 million or 10 million or whatever. Like they just don't care. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is that. And that, that's really cool perspective. I, so I really appreciate that. Um, I would, I would love to go maybe into, you know, North Dakota. So uh, I live pretty close to it. I know it um, pretty well. And what, so it's kind of a two-part question is like, you guys sprung up a very large facility. Um, I do know the power company and I think you guys became their number two or three customer in the span of like the snap of a finger. So 
How did that conversation go when you're talking about the magnitude, a hundred megawatt in a town of, you know, 500 ish people? That's impressive. So how, how did that conversation go on maybe the first approach? And then as that continued, but then also what, what is drawing you guys to North Dakota of all places? All you hear is Texas, 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 Texas. Yeah. I'd love to hear both of those. Yeah. So there's a, there's a few questions to unpack there. So Every utility I've ever talked to, you show up, and this goes back to 2017, right? They go, you don't actually need that much power. You've got something <laughs> wrong with you. Like, yeah. Your numbers are wrong. Like, you have no idea what you're doing. That's like out the gate. That's that's number one. That's the beginning of the conversation. Um, we, we do know what we're doing. We do understand how much power we actually want. And we, we establish that. And it typically takes a few phone calls on it, shockingly to get to like the right person who actually goes, okay, these guys aren't full of it. Um, and so so that's a whole process. But then sometimes we find a utility that they're all about what we're doing, but you know, they're a small utility. They have 200 megawatts on their system. And we're talking about putting 200 megawatts or 300 megawatts on their system. Or maybe they have 70. I talked to one that, that they have 70 megawatts in their entire utility. Like that's the total, total load that they served. Is 70 megawatts and we're we're showing up saying the minimum site size we'll build is 100 <laughs> right that's the minimum yeah we'd like to build 300 megawatts at a time 100 is the minimum and so they they just can't handle it like just from a business risk standpoint that'd be like you're a small mom and pop business and walmart shows up and says hey we'd like you to produce 8 million of this unit per year and we're going to buy all of them and then your customers you've had for 20 years and 50 years and whatever, you're like, sorry, I have to do everything Walmart tells me to do now. I'm yeah. like, that's the perspective that their boards and their communities and not that we're going to bully them around, but like, that's, that's the perspective. And what's the risk if one day Bitcoin goes away or, and we do other things in Bitcoin, right? We do HPC and that's brand new for us, but we, we have other things going on. And so what happens if that changes? What happens if we choose to shut down the facility for something that's outside of their control and they've got a bunch of money invested in there and revenue and jobs and employees and everything? Um, so it's a very scary proposition, right? So so it takes a lot of getting used to who are you and, and what's going on. We have the benefit of being publicly traded. Um, sure. We're, we're listed on NASDAQ, so our, our financials are public. They can they can believe when we tell them what it looks like, that it is what it is, because if it's not, uh, there's jail time involved for auditors and, and yep. finance folks and everything else, right? So like, it's, it's easy to look at the financials and understand who we are and, and what that looks like. Um, but then they look at the industry and go, well, Bitcoin is going down, this, especially last year. It's like, wow, Bitcoin was 70, now it's 17. Like, what does that look like? And unfortunately, you know, for a lot of the mining companies and, and the folks who are having uh, bankruptcy and, and insolvency issues uh, now, there was basically free money. You could get as much capital as you wanted to go out and buy as much equipment as you could uh, because Bitcoin was 70 grand almost. Um, and people took on a lot of loans that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. look irresponsible. Yeah. I wasn't in the room making those decisions. Um, but took out a ton of debt that all of a sudden they couldn't service um, because you can't you can't get big enough. There's not a big enough arbitrage, right? There's margins when Bitcoin is sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars, and power is whatever it is wherever you're 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 working. There's margins, but the margins get squeezed, and now all of a sudden a lot of miners found themselves in a business where they're having to sell every Bitcoin that they they ever mined, right? A lot of a lot of miners um, sold all of their 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 coins um, yep. just to pay debt or to just get by, and then all of a sudden that just flooded the market even worse, and and, and it's like this spiral out of control, right? Like it's like a run on the bank sort of, but but not exactly. Um, and so it just it just made it worse. Uh, so the utilities look at that and go, well, how the heck are you going to pay me? You know. And, you know, good news for us is we, we don't take Bitcoin or anything else. We, we collect our fees in U.S. dollars. Our, our revenue is U.S. dollar driven. Um, we have to put up huge deposits. If any of your, your viewers here are, are uh, miners who are looking to do this on their own, they're going to put up gigantic deposits with the utilities 
just to give them comfort that they're not going to you know, run off on their bill. Um, so we we have access to credit facilities being publicly traded and having the financials that we have that that some folks won't. So for for a lot of miners, that means writing a check, right? Like you might have to write a check for hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars just to the utility, just to say, please turn on the power, right? They're yep. going to hold on to that money just in case you disappear. Um, so there's a lot of getting comfortable, right, with the utilities and they're used to all utilities pretty much are used to most of their customers being very, very, very small percentage of their business. And then we show up and we're going to be a percent or 10% or 30% or, yeah. you know, 80% of their business. It's, it takes a lot of getting comfortable with who we are and what we do. Um, luckily for us, uh, our power team, um, our, our head of power, he worked for a regulator. He worked for a generator. He has a lot of insight into how the utilities work and operate. So when we have these conversations, they're not educating us so much as we're convincing them and showing them that we understand their business and how they operate and that we're compatible. Where a lot of miners will show up and say, hey, uh, my miner takes 240, 240 volts <laughs> and uh, I bought 10 megawatts of miners and I'd like to turn it on tomorrow. Uh, where can I plug them in? And the reality is that a utility, somebody was asleep at their desk and should have been or probably was fired if they had two, 10 megawatts of 240 volts just sitting there waiting for a customer to maybe show up one day, right? It's not field of dreams. It's not like if you build it, they'll come like they don't operate like that. They build stuff on long time horizons. Utility goes, oh, 100 megawatt customer. Okay, you're going to start talking to me today. You're going to turn on in seven years. And the miners are like, okay, I'm going to start talking to you today. And I want to plug them in like right now, you know, three and months, so right? You, we can do three months, right? Yeah. 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 Three months. <laughs> yeah. And so it's very incompatible. And I find myself still today um, getting frustrated with utilities and we have great utility partners and I get frustrated with them because I'm like, what do you mean we can't turn this on in six months or in three months or two months? Or like, why is there a three week delay? Because to me, three weeks is material and to them. It's a blip. Right, because they're used to yeah. seven seven year timeframes or ten year time horizons on their projects. So there's this huge incompatibility in speed um, because what they're doing is hard. It's not simple either. Like I don't want to be in the utility, but that's another hard business. Of course, you had some miners who wanted to get the utility business, and and that's been tough too. Um, yep. So so what yeah. um, so what what then is the the draw out in North Dakota? So. North Dakota has a, a lot of uh, good features. Uh, it's cold, obviously. Um, the cold is great, but actually too much cold is not great. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to deal with it's, oops, it's too cold. It's negative 30 and the miners won't mine, right? Humidity or, problems. Yep, yeah. yeah. Um, North Dakota, from a business standpoint, very, very friendly. Um, we've, by and large, had just an overwhelming, you know, positive reception from the regulators and, you know, folks, community people, like everybody has, has been great. Um, I've found that the North Dakotans are very hard workers, have to be if, you know, you literally won't live if you don't farm, you know, yep. during the right times of year and, and have things right. So like, so that's been a huge straw for us. Uh, the communities have been good to get into. Um, once they figure out we're not full of it, uh, they, they've been very welcoming and, and work with us. And, and that's been, that's been excellent. Uh, the state, uh, the governor announced, I don't know, last year, year before, you know, plan to get to, you know, carbon neutral by 2030 or 35 or something like that, as many states have um, yep. made those types of announcements. But they they realize where, you know, some states, um, you know, don't realize that there's a transition period. You can't take thousands of workers who are working in coal who have who don't have a licensure as electricians to work in regular electrical facilities because they're they're regulated by MSHA or you know some other regulator that has a different set of regulations. You can't say, "Hey guys, we're shutting down all the coal plants right now. We're shutting down every you know natural gas plant. We turned them off. They're gone. And and tomorrow your job is going to be working in a in a wind farm or a nuclear plant or something." 
So, so from my perspective, North Dakota is taking a very pragmatic approach of how do how do we transition from this energy that's maybe not so desirable coal to something that's much more desirable, you know, or how do we make coal more desirable, which is a big part of the conversation. Like, how can coal be net carbon negative, right? Like, it's putting it's sequestering more CO two than that's in the air than it's outputting, and and it has a very interesting geology. There's some very interesting projects going on in North Dakota, uh, or maybe going on in North Dakota, um, due to their to the geology of the state. There's these saline deposits, like these saltwater deposits underground that they can pump uh, CO2 into, and it's a really good storage medium um, oh, for wow. sequestering CO2, right? Like, so the state could be a, a net negative um, uh, from from a CO2 you know standpoint. Um, as compared to other states that are like, oh yeah, we'll just shut down our nuclear plants and uh, we're going to mandate that everybody has an electric car by 2035. Wyoming did the opposite. No electric cars by 2035. I think <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, but like no, no internal combustion engines, no, you know, fuel using uh, power sources by 2035. California declared that, I don't know, a decade ago or something. It's just, it's impossible. Like, yeah. it just doesn't exist. It's its detached from reality. Where I feel North Dakota makes statements about this kind of stuff, and they're not detached from reality. The reality, they understand. Like, they're producing coal power for these states that don't produce coal power, that say they don't want it. Um, but they have to have it because literally little old ladies will die in their sleep in the middle of the winter at night if they don't have the coal power because there's not an alternative. Yeah. So. North Dakota brings a lot of, you know, really uh, interesting environmental, you know, factors, which, you know, today our power is from the grid, but we would love to be 100%, you know, uh, 100% ESG, you know, everything, everything else over time, whether that means wind or, or solar or, you know, geothermal or, or whatever it is. But the reality isn't that's not today. That's 10 and 20 years from now. And looking at very, very large power consumers like us who are willing to take on new technologies is the way to make that transition, right? Like somebody shows up, I've had a conversation with a company says, hey, we'd love to build a 200 megawatt plant that's you know, geothermal in North Dakota, which doesn't exist right now. And we're gonna do it using these different technologies that are also gonna do these other things. Like how do they find a customer that will say, yeah, I'll build a, I'll build a 200 megawatt load right next to you they can't and and that would be kind of a uh like a monetary bolt-on for that company right to help them monetize that that asset and prove the technology works so you've got people running around saying shut it all down right but they don't have a real practical plan on on getting there but if you get out of the way of industry and instead you incentivize industry to say hey hold on a second let's let's convince folks like, let's get out of the way and convince folks to go do something really, really creative that could change, you know, the, you know, the pollution or whatever it is associated with, uh, with generating energy in a meaningful way and get out of the way to let a customer who would love to buy power from them prove out that this technology works. And then all of a sudden, you know, you could be talking about a plant that might be 20 megawatts that one day could be two gigawatts, right? But but some it needs to get a chance to get there. Like yeah. a bunch of 20 megawatt facilities in different technologies need to be built and fail, right? In order to find the one or two that are gonna work and change the way that we do things. And private industry is the best setup to do that. And there can be some government backstop to make that happen. And there is um, in various states, they, they, there's all sorts of you know programs for hydrogen, um, hydrogen hubs and things like that that could be very very interesting so it can kind of de-risk the uh, the innovators like the the entrepreneurs the innovators who want to go out and build those things but those those innovators and entrepreneurs they'll still need customers and it's 10 or you know 10-ish years could be seven but 10-ish years to build transmission lines to move that power from one place to another and if you put those facilities where the metropolitans are then the folks that live in the cities are pissed off because there's a plant that's this weird new technology. What if it catches on fire and blows us up? Like, who knows? So the yep. rural areas are the places where those things can be built, but there's no load there. So 
we're a perfect fit for that. And so are other, you know, there's other manufacturing and other things that are perfect fits for that. But North Dakota seems to embrace and understand that in a very wonderful way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's just, I, I really appreciate you walking through the, the why North Dakota that, I mean, what, what really incredible technology and, and just some really good foresight for how to make that energy transition happen. Cause it is a transition. It, uh, you don't just turn off the power and then request for the power. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So Nick, I, I, kind of an ending question for the show is, you know, I want to be respectful of time is of all the conversations you're having, your team's having, you know, what would you like, not advice, but, you know, talking to a power company that may not understand Bitcoin and, and the play for their grid, what, yeah. what would you say is something that, you know, maybe they could pay more attention to or, or help them understand, you know, how Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining fits into their grid system. Yeah, so we uh, we spend a lot of time trying to to figure out how to get in front of utilities to to have those conversations. We've joined a few associations, and um, uh, our EVP of Power he went and spoke at one in Florida last year, and uh, I went to a, a a renewable one for wind and, and spoke at that. And you know, there's there's huge value for utilities in interruptible loads, gigantic value in, in interruptible loads for utilities. Uh, utilities build peaker plants to deal with if they have an outage, they, they have to have more capacity, you know, than, than they're having to serve so that if one of the plants goes down, that little lady isn't freezing to death, you know, mm -hmm. in the middle of the night kind of a thing. So, so they're having to invest tons of, uh, tons of capital, in building more infrastructure than they need, right? And interruptible loads like us, uh, data centers, whether it's for, for blockchain, which we serve, or HPC, like AI, machine learning, neural networks, things like that, which we're also um, getting into that as a business. Um, these are great loads as long as they're, they're interruptible uh, to be able to balance out and deal with a lot of issues that, that go on, on on the grid. It takes a special utility to to understand that. Some utilities get it. Um, I think regulators are starting to see that that's a need. Um, you know, the Uri storm in, in Texas a couple of years ago is wreaking yeah. havoc on the, the Texas legislature right now. Um, ERCOT is going through. Uh, Texas has a really interesting thing where every 10 years, the, all the different entities have to justify that they exist. Um, and ERCOT happens to be going through that right now, just a bit after URI. So like, there's some really interesting things going on on there, but I know in like Minnesota regulators are, are trying to push um, interruptible loads onto the utilities and the utilities are sitting there going, how do, how do like, where, what do you mean interruptible? Like who needs a hundred megawatts or 200 megawatts or where are we going to find, you know, 500 people who want one megawatt uh, that would then turn off because a still a steel mill will ruin their machinery and be shut down for a month if you shut off in the middle of a run, right? Yeah. And same with all the manufacturing uh, programs out there. So it's it's really great if you can find somebody at the utility to talk to, but if the utility isn't already thinking that way, it's very difficult to convince leadership and utilities that this is this has the value that it does. So when we find utilities that see the value and understand it, it's it's really a great it's a huge win-win for both of us it's better for the consumers that are near us it's better for us it's better for the utility it gives them better returns on their investments um all all over the place it helps everybody um and so if they don't understand it and most utilities don't understand it they should you know they should understand it. uh we're we're happy to be a resource and talk i mean selfishly we want to build more facilities right so happy yeah. to chat with folks but Ultimately, we, we can't fill all the capacity uh, in, in the world. We can't build all the sites, um, but happy to have those conversations. And we are we are working through where are the right forums and and how do we find more people to talk to about this? Um, so if any of you, your utility folks that you chat with have like places they go or would like to talk to, ha happy to get involved there. Um, but there is just an incredible amount of value. I mean, in, in interruptible loads, whatever it is, blockchain, data center, um, traditional data centers have a hard time interrupting. Um, yep. I think we may, you know, have some solutions there as, as a company to make that 
work. Um, but any interruptible load is, is huge. I mean, even here again in Tennessee, where I live, a TVA figured out, hey, it's better for us to pump water up to the top of this mountain when we have too much power and then release it down the mountain and spin a generator when uh, when we have too little power. And they figured that out 60, 70 years ago, right? And there's a 50% cost to that, right? So if they pump a megawatt of, you know, if they spend a megawatt to get the water up there, they get a half megawatt back, but better to get a half megawatt back than zero. Um, and so utilities understand, you know, that kind of a thing, but they don't look at it the same way with us because we're not storage per se, uh, but yeah. we are, we are able to release energy as needed. Um, so, so that's a whole, that's a whole very long conversation too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that a lot. And, and Nick, I, I've really enjoyed our conversation, um, as we're kind of winding down the, the conversation you know, why don't you give our, our listeners, our audience, uh, you know, how do we get in touch with you, Apply Digital, you know, maybe go ahead and plug your guys' services, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can find us on our website. Um, it's applieddigital.com. There's two D's in there. Um, we're traded on NASDAQ. APLD is our ticker symbol. You can find us uh, through that. Uh, me personally, you can find me through LinkedIn. Um, if you go look up applied digital on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm on there. I'm, I'm, I'm accessible. I'm, I'm a busy guy, uh, but love having these types of conversations. Uh, Ben, you and I connected earlier about a different topic and, and here we are. Um, so, so definitely happy to, to connect with, with folks. Those are really the best ways. Awesome. Really appreciate it, Nick. You take care. You too. Thanks a lot, Ben. All right.